This podcast is recorded and produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country nationwide and their connections to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Fertility Unfiltered, a Women's Agenda special podcast series supported by Jenea Fertility. Through this series, we aim to break down common misconceptions, shatter stigmas and provide a platform for those whose voices have been silenced. We'll challenge society's limited understanding of fertility, amplifying stories that celebrate the beauty of diverse paths to parenthood. I'm your host, Tyler Lambert. If you've been thinking about becoming a single parent but are feeling a little unsure, I've got some good news. Science and technology are helping to ensure no one misses out on becoming a parent, whether you're single, dealing with infertility, or identify as LGBTQI+. I'm Tyler Lambert, Editor-in-Chief at Women's Agenda, and I've been talking to some of Australia's best fertility specialists to find out how anyone can realise their dream of having their own biological children. When Lucy Weber was in her 20s, she knew exactly what she wanted, to be married with two kids and a happy family by the age of 30. As the years went by, that age came and went. She started wondering if the man of her dreams, the future father of her kids, would ever show up. Then she had a wake-up call. After taking an anti-malarian hormone test, Lucy was shocked to hear her ovarian reserves were very low, much lower than expected for her age. Realising she couldn't wait any longer, she decided to take a leap of faith and try for a baby on her own. It wasn't a decision I made lightly, but it was also always in the back of my mind. I guess dating in my 20s, um, long-term relationship sort of came to an end, but I knew I definitely wanted to be a mum. And so I sort of had it in my mind that initially it was, oh, when you turn 33, if you haven't found someone at that point, maybe you should look into options of having a baby on on your own. But then as that age approached, the age kept on changing and changing. I mean, I thought I'd be married with two children by the time I was 30. So the fact that I found myself single at 30 with no particularly decent dating prospects, it was quite at first um, stressful. And all of my dating that I did do was sort of it had that as a theme. I've got to meet someone. I've got to fall in love because I do want to have a child. So I had, but I always had it in the back of my mind. Solo is an option if you really want to be a mum, but the age kept on changing. So then when COVID hit, I had the blood test request in my car for finding out my AMH level. Sorry, the long-winded technical name for AMH. I can't quite recall some sort of, but it's a hormone level which suggests your ovarian reserve anyway. So I had it in my car and I kept on delaying getting it because I'm like, I was 36 at that point. I'm sure I'm fine. I'm sure I'm fine. And then with COVID and all the stress that that brought, I'm like, okay, I think I should find this out because I'm not really doing much work at the moment. So maybe being on maternity leave and having a baby would be a good use of my time. Anyway, had the test done, found out my ovarian reserve was drastically low. So I was 36, but it was sort of on par with a woman in her mid 40s. So that was already, you know, a huge wake up call. I'm like, wow, okay, I thought that the decision to be a mum was entirely mine to make. I didn't realise that 
maybe it would be taken out of my hands by Mother Nature. So at that point I knew, okay, I don't have any time to waste. I've got to um, get onto it pronto. I had had some friends who'd waited until they were 40 and had come out of their journey with no child to show for it. So then when I got that wake-up call, I didn't have time up my sleeve. I'm like, hey, I've just got to get onto it and make it happen. So it was at that point that I contacted Janaea because some friends who are in traditional couple relationships but needed fertility help, they'd gone through Janaea and had success. Some people who I'd known who'd gone to other fertility clinics hadn't had success, which might just be a coincidence, but still I went with Janaea because I'm like, oh, okay, that's promising at least. Janaea Fertility has helped many people, including those going solo, make babies with assisted conception. How to get there, whether through fertility treatments like IVF, a sperm or egg donor, and surrogacy, will depend on your unique situation. If you're thinking of becoming a single parent, a good place to start is an AMH test. Janaea specialist Dr. Rashi Kalra explains how it works. AMH, or anti-malarian hormone, is, is, is a hormone produced by the immature eggs in a woman's ovary. So it's a very good marker of how many immature eggs are in a woman's ovary. And uh, we say that an AMH is a test of a woman's ovarian reserve or basically egg pool. So women are all born with a finite number of eggs and we unfortunately lose eggs as we get older. And the amount of AMH in your blood correlates with how many eggs are in your ovaries. Now, clinically or you know in the fertility setting, AMH peaks sometime in the mid-20s for a woman. Um, and then slowly decreases with time. And unfortunately, in most women in their 40s, AMH levels are very low or can be undetectable. A lot of women seem to be surprised when I tell them that it's not a fertility test. It's just a test of how many eggs are in your ovaries. It's not a test of how likely you are to get pregnant naturally. It predicts how many eggs a woman might get if she went through a cycle of IVF. Um, And it helps someone like myself, the fertility doctor, to decide what dosage of medication to give a woman going through any fertility treatment. It's not a measure of a woman's egg quality, and it's not a measure of how likely a woman is to get pregnant naturally. So um, we know women with a low AMH can actually get pregnant uh, naturally. We know women with a high AMH can have fertility issues. Uh, It's really more relevant as a guide for women as to how many eggs are in their egg pool, uh, egg number, not quality, and how many eggs they might get if they went through a round of IVF or egg freezing. You can hear more about this in episode one of this podcast. For Lucy, the results of the AMH test made her realise she had no more time to lose. Working with the Janaea Fertility team, the best option for her was to try IVF. First, she had to find a sperm donor. I live in Sydney, so it would have made total sense just to to do the process in Sydney. I didn't know all of the logistics in terms of finding the sperm and everything like that. But um, when I'm touched base with them, they actually said to me the wait time for sperm in Sydney is approximately a year long. And by chance, the really proactive person that I was in communication with said, is going to Canberra an option because there's actually no wait time for sperm in Canberra. I'm like, wow, well, Canberra's only a, you know, a short drive away. If I were to fly, it's less than an hour flight. Why not? So then I, that's what 
started my um, process of going through Janae in Canberra because I knew that time wasn't my friend so I had to make it happen quickly. So I think from that process it was only a couple of weeks before I first saw my fertility specialist. She luckily was straight away very aware of the sense of urgency and knew that we didn't have time to dilly-dally and I made my choice of US-based donor and the fastest internet shopping ever I think from the time that the transaction appeared on my credit card to when that sperm was in the lab in Canberra less than a week and that was in the height of the 2020 COVID lockdowns and I mean I never thought I'd get so excited about a phone call about sperm but (laughs) when the lab called and said your sperm's arrived (laughs) It was an exciting moment for the hopeful mum who would soon be holding the hand of her newborn. When going solo, one of the key decisions to make is who will donate the egg or sperm to help you make a baby. Anonymous donor programs are offered at fertility clinics. Janae Fertility, for example, works with Fairfax Cryobank, a trusted donor sperm bank that has rigorous screening processes and is LGBT friendly. The costs of this are outlined in Episode 7 of Fertility Unfiltered. If going with a known donor, Janae specialist Dr. Tween Lowe says there are some key considerations to make. I think that the first thing that we should consider is that there has to be trust between the donor and the recipient. The gamete donation, so gamete means either eggs or sperm, has to be altruistic. So you need to be confident that the person that is donating her or his or their gametes are doing this out of altruistic intention. There must not be any financial reward for the donation. So that's the first thing. The second thing then is that the gamete donor should be of a healthy person, as in there's no serious medical problems or mental health issues. So we need to have a clean bill of health from the donor. The other thing that will dictate the success of the donation is, again, the age of the donor. So the younger, the better. So if you have an egg donor who is 40 years old, the pregnancy rate from that donation is going to be much lower. And as I said, maybe about 20% per embryo transfer. Whereas if you have an egg donor who is only 30 years old, you have got like a greater than 50% chance of success. And this is the same for sperm donor. So the younger the sperm donor, the more vital the embryo is going to be. Sometimes we see older males who has got good sperm concentration and good motility, but the resulting embryo might still not be very robust. They might not lead to a successful pregnancy. And the other thing is that we are also concerned with older male donors, older sperm, as in 40 and above, that there is a higher risk of genetic problems arising from that as well. So we would prefer a younger sperm donor if possible. You want the donor to be old enough to understand the significance of the donation and the implication of being a donor. So you don't want a very young person to do that because they might not actually understand how significant that is. You do not want the donor to be so old that they might not be around when the offspring wants to learn about their biological parent that the person is no longer around. 
When receiving any type of fertility treatment, Dr. Lowe says it's also really important to have the right people around you. This applies through the journey from pre-pregnancy to giving birth and all that comes after. You need to think about the support that you might require. As we always say, it takes a village to raise a child. So you want to build your team around you. The other thing is about how to prepare for the pregnancy. If you are a single woman, if I'm going to carry the pregnancy, who's going to help me? Um, Who's going to be the male role model? And then research the clinics that you are going to approach, plan in advance, and don't leave it till you are too old, because the older you start the treatment, the harder it is to conceive, the longer it takes, the more expensive it's going to be. It's an exciting step to start a family on your own. But as we have found throughout this series, speaking to others who have been on a similar journey can be invaluable. It can spotlight things you may not know and also be a great reminder that though you're going solo, you're not alone. For Lucy, becoming a single parent has been the best decision she's ever made. As I speak to her for this podcast, her son is approaching his second birthday. One of the the main aspects that had prevented me doing it sooner was, oh, I don't want to get any flack from people. I don't want them saying, oh, but can't you just wait and meet someone? Or So I had all of this external pressure preventing me doing it sooner. And then I think when I got that, that information about my low ovarian reserve, firstly, I had the heartbreak of thinking, oh my gosh, what if I have waited too long and now I won't have a choice. It just won't happen. So the heartbreak and process of that and visualizing my future without a child. I mean, it's one thing to, to have visualized it without a partner, but no, it's not an option to not be a mum. So, you know, I worked through all of that with varying degrees of despair and and trying to visualise my life in different ways. So that was really a lot of soul searching, I guess. But then in the end, when I got that confirmation of the low AMH, I'm like, I don't care what anyone says. I feel that this validates my decision. It shouldn't have had to come to that. If, if a woman decides that she wants to be a mother at that that's her choice to make it's for no one else to comment on but then I finally felt that I had that confidence and conviction to own my choice and to to say to hell with what anyone else thinks or believes I know that I need to do this and also it's the whole thing of I don't want to be left wondering even if it didn't work out and I wasn't able to have a child at least I gave it a red hot go in the end it was a really easy decision because the thought of visualising my future without a child or at least having attempted to have a biological child, that was just, that took me to the pits of despair and it just wasn't, it wasn't an option. So in the end, easiest decision I ever made, but it was a long process of soul searching to get there, I guess. Looking back, Lucy says it was very important to have a trusted healthcare team and loved ones to support her. This was especially helpful when trying to balance work and life with things like medical procedures. When you have sedation for a procedure such as egg retrieval, you do then have to consider having a support person. So I was fortunate that a friend of mine has been very involved in the process from the word go and she actually became then my birth support person. So she's sort of been like my fertility friend, I guess. Um, So I I was fortunate in that sense. But I guess otherwise, if that's not going to be an option, then an individual has to think about how they would safely get home. Then it's also 
what's your work situation? Is it do you have a boss that you could feel comfortable telling them why you need the time off or do you have to manufacture a random reason? So those sorts of considerations I think are across the board really, um, solo or not. And then it's just a case of if you do have that support person to, to pick you up after you've had sedation and everything and luckily um, I have had. I was so fortunate. I had, you know, the textbook pregnancy of no major concerns really and spontaneous labour at the end and no dramas. So from that regard, I'm so thankful. But I would say that I didn't anticipate just the extent of the fatigue in the first trimester especially. So just how that sort of puts the rest of your life on hold. So I guess if you do have backup for simple things like food prep and, and housework, I mean, that would help. But otherwise, I just used to find if I wasn't at work, I was basically sleeping. That I did find challenging but that luckily passes the only other thing I would say I'm a vegetarian so I tend to get low iron in certain circumstances so um, but that wasn't tested until the 28 week mark when they did the gestational diabetes test and so I'd actually spent majority of my second trimester being essentially anemic so having all of those sorts of feelings of the you know dizziness and and all of that which I just I you know dismissed it oh it must be pregnancy related whereas if only I'd tested my iron much earlier I would have known and had an iron infusion then I would have um, had a really comfortable second trimester trimester so that would be the only thing if especially if you are vegetarian or you're prone to low iron I'd say if you do have the ability to test it sooner but otherwise it was a great journey uh, and lots of fun and lots of craziness. Going through IVF or any other fertility treatment can come with many moments of joy excitement and despair the ride can be bumpy and often it's filled with uncertainty. Evelyn Zwalen is a patient counsellor at Jenea Fertility who helps patients with infertility challenges She says mental health should be a priority through the process. Infertility and its treatment can be a very emotionally challenging journey. And sometimes the hardest part of the cycle is not the drugs, the hormones, the routine blood tests and ultrasounds and even the egg collection and procedures. It's the waiting and the not knowing. The key to resilience is emotional well-being. One of the things that is really important to me as a counsellor and something I talk a lot about is about focusing on the journey and not the outcome. One of the most difficult things around IVF is a lack of control. And this is something that many, many women will express to me. You know, they're often women who've been very successful in their careers and in every other area of their life. They're used to working really hard and achieving their goals. And then suddenly they're confronted with this, what seems like a really simple, natural process that, you know, any 17-year-old can do. And they can't. And that is really, really tricky. And not having that control is very hard. So I'm encouraging women and men to focus on what they can control. And that is how they do the journey. So what can you look after? Where can you exert influence and control? And that may be in who your circle of support is, how you manage this at work, who you tell what to, how you take off some of the burdens that you have in your life, how you plan around when you want to do a cycle, Um, how you manage social interactions when people are asking you when are you going to have kids and all the difficult things that come with this. But taking some time to think about those aspects of your journey gives you back some control. And I think that having control is also part of resilience building. But the other part is looking after your well-being and that's taking time to care for your mental, your physical, your psychosocial self 
and making sure that you are replenishing that fuel tank and topping up and putting some stuff in there so that when the going gets tough, you've got some resources to fall back on. But it's tough. It really is tough. And this is a journey that can last for years for some people. Because of this, it's essential to choose the right healthcare providers to ensure you're using time wisely, getting the best care and feeling fully supported as you achieve your dream of having a baby solo. Dr. Kalra shares a handy checklist on how to choose the right fertility provider in episode one of this series. The website Your IVF Success is also a great resource for researching fertility clinics and their success rates. My fertility specialist did provide me with info sources about, or even just, you know, browsing um, the sperm bank resources. And from there, I managed to find social networks through Facebook and other websites of donor conceived parents or uh, there's Australian solo mothers by choice Facebook pages. And then also from there, I guess there was actually a counselling session through Jenea when you did make the choice to go down the track of donor conception. And that was really good in terms of she reassured me that I would choose the narrative of how my my child grew up. And because I've always wondered, are they going to get to an age and question the whole no father thing? And, and so we went over ways that I could explain that to my future child. And, and I've always just had a standard psychologist anyway. So I've talked through my various concerns with her as well. And as terrible as it sounds, I think all parents, even with the best of intentions, have a way of maybe fucking up their, their children one way or another. So I kind of think um, if I'm already going into it with this in mind, I'll do it less so hopefully. If you have been counting down the days, watching seasons pass and feel like the dream of having a family is slowly slipping away, Lucy is a reminder that you don't have to wait for Prince Charming or stay in an unhealthy relationship to make it happen. She herself had to do a lot of soul searching to let go of some preconceived notions that were holding her back from going for her dream. Also debunking all of those preconceived ideas we have about meeting our Prince Charming and and, and all of that just assuming that that would all happen you know why shouldn't it happen I'm a, a nice person a reasonably good looking person with an okay job but why shouldn't I meet that person but you know it doesn't always happen so I think it's better to have no father or no mother than a dysfunctional version of that or or a less than satisfactory I mean great if they're a, a great version of that parental figure but what's the point in staying in a crappy relationship just for having that parental figure or for getting that sperm donor to be on site with you there's no real point is there all very well if if the partner is attentive and present and all the rest of it but if you're essentially partnering a man child and a real child I mean that's your workload is already double and you're going to resent that adult if they're not contributing aren't you so we can do it on our own we have the ability to of course not saying it's going to be uh, a walk in the park or all easy there are definitely going to be struggles both emotionally financially logistically so definitely not going to be easy but it is an option and um, you know we, we do have the ability to go down that track if, if being a mother is what we want more than anything yeah we shouldn't look at the lack of a relationship as an obstacle and the positives I draw from it is I'm never going to have a custody battle if I do happen to meet someone down the track that's fantastic but I'm never going to have all those dramas associated with um, sharing custody or trying to juggle that type of stuff. For Lucy being a solo mum continues to reward her in unexpected ways as preparations begin for her son's upcoming birthday 
she's got one final reminder to anyone thinking about going solo. Don't wait. If you're thinking that for whatever reason, whether it be societal or your own personal pressures, whatever it might be, that you have to wait till a certain age to make it a valid choice, don't wait. Because firstly, you don't know the status of your fertility. And on top of that, you know, any one of us could die tomorrow when we've wasted time waiting. Like just live your life. If you want to be a mum and you want to do it on your own, just do it. There's no one that you have to prove to that it's a suitable choice. If it feels right for you and you've taken into account all the considerations that, you know, any potential parent should, then do it. Take the plunge um, because I can assure you, you won't regret it. Of course, it's a crazy journey. Anyone who's a parent knows it, it changes your life in ways that, you think you've anticipated, but of course you never have. And you just, you may as well go for it. I think if you're waiting for that extra million dollars or that extra this or that extra, that's not going to miraculously happen. So just, just do it. <laughs> I'm forever grateful. I do hope to grow my family more, but uh, I will still be forever grateful just for him if another baby doesn't eventuate. So yeah, the journey to number two hasn't been as straightforward as journey to number one, but that's okay because I've got him so you know we'll see what happens in (laughs) in that other space but yeah. I hope this episode has offered a little inspiration to take the next steps to becoming a parent because it doesn't matter if you are single. The miracle of IVF and other technologies are transforming how people get there so if you've always had a calling to have a baby don't leave it too late. In the next episode we're going to look at how to plan financially when growing or starting a family. Thank you to solo mum Lucy for sharing her story today and to the healthcare team at Jenea Fertility for their insights. To keep up to date with all the episodes, subscribe to Fertility Unfiltered, which you'll find on every listening platform and our website. I'm Tyler Lambert. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.